Now today, we are in Revelation chapter 15 and 16. If you need Bibles, ushers to come forward with Bibles. And what we're looking at today is the grand finale of God's judgments. Now remember, where are we at in the book of Revelation? We're in the Great Tribulation. We saw uh, earlier in the book of Revelation, we saw chapters 2 and 3 about the church age. And then at the end of the church age, it says, after these things, the church is going to be raptured. We're going to be out of here. Beam me up, Jesus. Take us out. We're going to be caught in the clouds. We're going to see him as he is, and we too will be like him. And then after the rapture, God's going to pour out his wrath upon the world. Judgment. And we've seen so far in the Great Tribulation, we've seen seven, seven seals of God's judgment. Bam, 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 bam. And then after the seven seals of God's judgment, then the seven trumpets of God's judgment came. Bam, 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 bam. Then after the seven trumpets of God's judgment, now we're in the seven bowls of God's wrath. And we're going to see the grand finale, final judgment of God upon the world. Now, question, why is God judging everything? I thought God is a God of love and grace and mercy. And he's just, you know, God is love, right? Yeah, that's true. 1 John 4 actually says his very essence is love. God is love. But also, the angels around the throne of God are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God's a God of love, but he's a God of holiness. And he's a God of justice. And let me tell you something. God is also very patient 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, we're told, the Lord's not slow about his promise, the slow about his promise of the end of the age and judgment, but as some count slowness. But here's why God's patient. He's patient towards you and toward the world, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to what? Repentance. But the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is God's judgment. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with tense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Here's the deal. God is omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows all things. And God for the last millenniums has seen the evil and the rebellion and the sin of mankind and he's patiently waiting to judge the world till more and more people come to Christ and we get the job done as a church to lead that last person to Christ and then judgment will come because God is love, God is mercy, God is grace, but God is holy and God is justice and he will judge the world. It is coming and we're gonna see the grand finale of this judgment that's gonna come during the seven you know, bowls of God's wrath at the end of the seven years of the great tribulation in our scripture today. It's not like God is a God that's going to just basically, that's what the world thinks. God's just going to let everybody go to heaven and God is just love, grace, mercy, and peace. And everybody's going to just go to heaven and sing kumbaya for the rest of eternity. No, there's judgment. There's judgment that's coming. And we need to be reminded of that today in the word of God. You know, it'd be a lot easier just to skip chapters like we're looking at today, but we don't skip things here at Calvary Chapel. We're like Paul, who said, we're not going to shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. We're going to give you the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help us God. Amen? All right, so let's look at it, church, and we're going to see two perspectives. We're going to see Revelation 15. We're going to see the tribulation saints that have been martyred during the Great Tribulation worshiping God in heaven and their perspective and seeing the bowls of wrath being released from heaven. And then in chapter 16, we're going to see the actual unleashing of these seven bowls of wrath on earth. So we start in heaven and then we go to earth. Revelation chapter 15, if you're there, say amen. 
All right, here we go. And I saw another sign in heaven, Revelation 15, 1. Great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are now the last, that's the final judgment, because in them the wrath of God is what? It's finished. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had come off victorious from the beast. Who's the beast? The beast is the Antichrist. And victorious from his image. That image is going to be in the temple, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The whole world that's received the mark of the beast is going to worship the Antichrist's image in the temple. And from the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. So here we see heaven now, during the great tribulation, as the bulls of wrath will be poured out, and we see these tribulation saints. It says they were victorious over the Antichrist, the beast. How? They were victorious because they didn't worship his image and they didn't, they didn't take his mark. I'm saying victorious? They're dead. They died. The beast killed them, martyred them. Yeah, yeah. They're victorious because now they're, where are they at? They're in heaven. Christ in them is the hope of glory. Jim Elliott, that great missionary from South America that died serving Christ on the mission field, wrote in his journal right before he was martyred in South America, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen? And there's a special reward in heaven. We know that from the scriptures. There's special crowns in heaven for those that actually give up their life for the cause of Christ. Heaven's going to applaud them and stand up and give them standing ovations as they come to heaven. We know that from Stephen in the book of Acts as he was martyred for the cause of Christ. It actually says that Christ stood in heaven. Christ typically is seated at the right hand of the Father. He stood in heaven as Stephen the martyr gave his life for Christ. Now, how are they victorious over the evil one? How are they victorious over the beast? We learned it early in Revelation 12, 11. When it says this, and they overcame him, they overcame the Antichrist because, and Satan, they overcame Satan because of, notice, three things. The blood of the lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and they didn't love their life even when they, what? Faced with death. They got victory over the beast and over Satan himself in the image of the beast, and the mark of the beast, they were victorious over that during the great tribulation because they did three things. They trusted in the finished work of Christ on the cross, the blood of the lamb. They knew they were forgiven and they were saved by the blood of the lamb. They were victorious over the the, the beast and the antichrist also because of the word of their testimony. What's that? They knew they were saved and they went back to their salvation. They knew that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And they're victorious over the beast and the Antichrist also because of their commitment. They didn't even love their lives on a death. They were committed Christians. They were willing to die for the cause of Christ. Hey, you want to be a victorious Christian? God wants you to be one. We're not supposed to be victims of the devil and the world and the flesh. We're supposed to be victors. How are we going to get victorious in this evil age we're in? Same three three principles. Trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Believe that your sins are paid for. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, paid in full. There's victory in the blood. And trusting that Jesus disarmed the principalities of hell on the cross. But also we need to go back to our testimony at times. When the doubts and the disbelief start creeping in, and Satan does that work 
in our minds, in our hearts. Remember the word of your testimony. Go back to that day you bent your knee to Christ. You gave your life to Jesus and how he changed your life. We overcome the evil one in the world, in the flesh, and the devil by the word of our testimony. And go back, too, to the fact that you've made a commitment to Christ. Your commitment is that you're willing to do everything in living for him because he died for you. Don't love your life even on a death because of what Jesus did for you. That commitment will help you get victory. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants you to be a victorious Christian. God wants me to be a victorious Christian. But we got to keep going to the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and a commitment to Christ. We're willing to do everything to live for him because he died for us. And notice also in the scripture here in Revelation, it says this, that they were not only victorious over the beast, but also, it says this, interesting, they're standing on a sea of glass and they're holding harps of God. Hey, there really are harps in heaven. And they're not just some little chubby cherubim playing them. But I think that the, the part of the picture here we're getting is the harps and the sea of glass. Have you ever been to a wedding where there's harps being played? What is the sense you get from those harps as they're being played? If you're being played by the right person doing well. It's just peace, right? It's like all oh, melodic, just peace. And then you're out on a sea or you're out on Lake Murray or something and there's, it's just total calm, like a sea of glass. What does that make you feel? Peace. And when we get to heaven, even after all the tribulation, all the stuff that's happening, all the chaos of this world, one of the things that's gonna mark heaven is peace. These tribulation saints that face the mark of the beast and they're victorious over it, now in their place, they're in a place where there's peace. And you know what? We're in a pretty chaotic world right now, too. It's not the Great Tribulation yet, but it's pretty crazy. And I don't know about you, but it's getting crazier. And it's getting darker. Where do we get peace in the chaos of our world today? By getting our hearts in heaven. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your heart in your mind, in Christ. Hey, Isaiah, in the King James Version, puts it this way. It says, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed in thee because he trusteth in thee. And hey, when the stress comes and the chaos comes and the tribulation comes, as you face that as Christians, the best thing you do is, is get your heart in heaven. Because as you keep your heart in heaven, you have the peace of God to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It's awesome. And so one of the rewards of being people of prayer, being people that are in church, being people of worship, being people in God's presence, is we get our hearts back into heaven, and then the peace of God, that sea of glass in our hearts, is there. Amen? Now let's go on now. Verse 3. And as these tribulation saints are playing harps, and they're, they're standing by the sea of glass, it says, they sang the song of Moses the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Now, interesting, two songs in heaven by these saints and by these people that are around the throne of God. It's the song, first of all, of Moses. What's that song? Song of deliverance. Remember Moses, as he led the people of Israel out of, out of Egypt, he took the staff and the, divided the Red Sea, and two to three million 
Two to three million of the Israelites walked right through the middle of the Red Sea on dry ground, and then they got through all the way to the other side as they made their journey towards the promised land. And then I think Moses probably took a staff again and closed the sea because it says that Pharaoh and all his chariots that were chasing down the people of God were drowned and killed as the sea collapsed on them. And then Miriam, the, the worship leader, the sister of Moses, led them in a song talking about the horse and its rider were thrown in the sea, and it was a song of deliverance. So the singing in heaven, I believe, I believe this could be some Old Testament saints too that were saved through Moses. They're singing the song of Moses of deliverance to God for the deliverance God gave them. But then there's, there's, there's also people singing the song of the Lamb. What's the song of the Lamb? It's not physical deliverance. What's more spiritual deliverance? It's the fact that Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross for these saints in heaven, he set them free from the slavery of sin and made their sin as far from them as the east is from the west. And even though their sin is a scarlet, they're not white as snow and they're around the throne of God. The song, the song of the Lamb. It's awesome. It's awesome that there's two different songs. There's an Old Testament song and a New Testament song in heaven as these saints are singing. And then they sing this, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God, the Almighty, righteous and true are thy ways. Thou King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou alone art holy. For all the nations will come and worship before thee, for thy righteous acts have been revealed. Now, the saints as they're singing in heaven, they're singing about three things. They're singing about, first of all, it's, it's, they're singing about God's works. What works? The works of God saving them? the works of God redeeming them, the works of Jesus' death on the cross for their sins, the work of his creation, the glory of God uh, reveals the, you know, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. All these works, the glory, the glory of his creation is part of his works, but also his ways. His works, his ways, what ways? His ways of being holy, his ways of truth, his ways of righteousness, his ways of just majesty, his ways of just greatness. They're giving him praise for that. And then, after his ways, now they're worshiping him for his worth. His worth is that he's holy and he's awesome and that he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. And so they're worshiping him. The, the song of, the, of Moses and the song of the Lamb, as they're worshiping him, they're worshiping him for those three W's. His works, his ways, and his, and his worth. I love that last song we sang during our worship uh, uh, this morning. He is worthy. And if you know anything about God, he's worthy. He's worthy of our worship. And then as they worship, look at verse 5. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened, and the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, girded around their breasts with golden girdles, and one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls, notice, full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God, from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Now, this really interested me this week. So I was studying this. It, was, it reminded me this week as I was studying this that there's a temple that was built in Jerusalem for God's people, right? It was built by Solomon initially. It was rebuilt by Herod. It was, it was a temple where they offered the sacrifices. But this temple in Jerusalem was just a, a, 
a prototype of what was, what was already, or a, a, a symbol of what was already in heaven. We know that from Exodus chapter 40. We know that as Moses built, uh, or as Moses was given the directions in Exodus 40 for the tabernacle, tabernacle which was eventually going to become the temple, the same design, uh, what, what Moses was given there was just a symbol of already, what was already in heaven. We know that also from the book of Hebrews. Listen to Hebrews 9, 23 to 24. It says, Therefore it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, the true temple in heaven, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. That's cool. So when we get to heaven, there's actually going to be a temple of God in heaven. And as these saints, these tribulation saints, are worshiping God for his works and his ways and his worth, here's what happens. The glory of God fills the temple of heaven. And church, let me tell you something. Same thing happens with us. When we gather as God's people in this temple, and then we worship him for his works and his ways and his worth, God's glory shows up. And I don't know about you, but I love it. I love God's glory. You know why? It changes me. And as I experience his presence and his glory, I'm promised in 2 Corinthians 3.18, I'm promised that as I behold his face, he changes me from glory to glory into his image. And I don't know about you, but I need some changing. I know who I am. I'm a sinner, man. And my flesh all the times wants to make stupid, foolish decisions and bad mistakes. And the more I get in God's glory, the more he changes that flesh. The more he makes me like Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to help me be more like Christ is God's presence. Jesus said, if any man abides in me, I'll abide in him and he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you could do nothing. I looked it up in the Greek. You know what nothing means? Nothing! There's nothing you could do apart from the presence and the power of Christ. And one of the great things about worship, if it's in spirit and truth, is it gets you to a place where God's glory falls and it changes you to be more like Jesus. Every Friday after I'm done with my message, I come in this sanctuary and I pray through the seats of these chairs every Friday and have a prayer time. And I pray. And I, lately, the Lord is leading me to pray verbally. I think some of our U-turn guys, when they're walking on the campus and Pastor Johnson here praying, because I don't have a small voice. i got a loud voice. They can hear me through these skin walls. And they think I'm going crazy. But what I'm doing is I'm praying. And I pray for healing for everybody that comes to these seats on Sunday. I pray for truth to invade your hearts. I pray for, I pray for salvation. I pray for people to be set free from demonic oppression or problems. I pray specifically, and the Lord sometimes gives me specific prayers for people as I'm praying through these chairs. But you know what my chief prayer concern the Lord always leads me to pray for as I'm praying through these chairs? It's for his presence and glory to be in his temple right here. And then as you come in this church, and as you worship in spirit and truth, his glory falls that's the only thing that's going to change us, to be more like Christ. Why do we worship so much here at Calvary Chapel? Why do we do all these songs? Why, why, why does Pastor John even make us stand during the songs? 
Why don't you just do one and out? Do one song, we're done. Get to the Bible, will you? Why do we do that? Because like these Old Testament and New Testament saints around the throne of God, as they worship for him for his works and his ways and his worth, God's glory fell into the temple and just filled it with smoke and glory. That's why we worship so much around here. We're not going to be a, a frosty, candy cane church where you get one sermon and 15-minute sermonette, Christians for Christianettes, and you're out of here. No, we want to be a place where you're touched by God's glory and you're changed by his glory, and that takes some time in his presence. Amen? Amen. So now, that's the heavenly view. Bowls of wrath are being poured out. Let's see it being brought out now on earth. Let's go from heaven to earth. Chapter 16. If you're there, say amen. And I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go, pour out the seven bowls of wrath of God into the earth. And the first angel went and he poured out his bowl into the earth. And it became loathsome and malignant sores upon the men who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. Now that's interesting. Because it's saying the only people that got the first judgment and the the sores and the malignant sores and the boils, the only people that got are those who got the mark of the beast. Those people that got saved and came out of that and refused to take the mark of the beast, they didn't get this plague because God was protecting his people. You know, God puts a protective hedge around his people. He does that for us even today. The Bible says, Psalm, uh, Psalm 91, it says that God gives angels charge concerning us to guard us in all our ways. And so the tribulation saints, they're not going to get this bowl of wrath of malignant sores and boils. And uh, some scholars actually, Bible scholars actually believe that, that the mark of the beast, God's going to contaminate in some way so that those that get the mark of the beast, there's going to be a contamination in their bodies that results in toxins or whatever else that results in boils and sores, malignant sores that come from the mark of the beast. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think we're paving the way towards this mark of the beast already because there's going to be a worldwide enforcement of this vaccine. Now, I'm not against the vaccine. I think the vaccine might even help squash this whole thing. Hopefully it will. But I'm against the government, government forcing everybody to get a vaccine because that's governmental control that's going to pave the way to the government forcing everybody to get a mark of the beast also during the Great Tribulation. But it's interesting here because the first plague that comes is associated with having the mark of the beast. And then it goes on. And by the way, if they start giving microchips out that release a vaccine in your, your hand or your forehead, say, see you later, alligator. But I think, again, I know we're going to be raptured, so we're not going to be under this dominion and control of the mark of the beast because the church is going to be brought out of here before this happens. But that's going to be a part of the great tribulation. And the resulting sores and malignant sores and boils are going to come. Verse 3, And the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like blood that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Now, does that sound familiar? Going back to the seven trumpets, the sea has already turned into blood. But in the seven trumpets, only a third of the sea is turned to blood. Here, the entire ocean system as we have it turned into blood. Now, that's mass because 72% of the world's surface is covered by oceans and seas and lakes. And so it says here all of the seas are going to be contaminated, 
filled with like blood, and then also all the creatures of the sea are going to die because of the contamination of this blood. Can you imagine? I mean, if you're at the lake and you're by a pier and there's one catfish that died and came up on the shore, how does that smell? Can you imagine every creature in the entire sea contaminated and killed and poisoned by this blood that comes upon the earth in the sea? And then in verse 4 it says, And the third angel poured out his blood into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. Now, we're going from the seas into the rivers. What's the rivers? It's the natural water supply for mankind during the seven years of Great Tribulation. And only 2.5% of the world is fresh water. Uh, the rest is ocean and seas. But this is, this is bad because fresh water is the supply for drinking. And you can survive 40 plus days without eating food, but you can't survive more than a few days of not having fresh water. And that's all going to be contaminated now through this third plague or third trumpet. And then in verse 5 it says, And I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous art thou who art and who wast, O holy one, because thou didst judge these things. And they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given the blood to drink. Notice what the response of heaven is. They deserve it. Why do they deserve it? Because they killed Christians. They caused Christians to be martyred because of their following of the Antichrist. And then it says, and I heard the altar saying, yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. Now this is interesting too, because there's a world's view of God and God judging the world, and then there's heaven's view. And when we get to heaven as believers, and we see God's judgment upon the earth, we're going we're gonna to go right with this chorus. We're going to say, righteous and true are your judgments, O God. You're totally just in what you're doing and bringing judgment to this world. There's nothing wrong with what you're doing here in judging the whole world. No, you're doing the right thing, God. But what's the world's view of God being a God of justice and judgment? How can a loving God send anybody to hell? It's not right for God to judge anybody. God is a God of love, right? Yes, again, God is a God of love. But he's a God of justice. And he must judge sin. And church, let me tell you something, it's coming. The judgment of God is coming to this world and it's coming also to this country unless our country repents. We need to be praying. 2 Corinthians seven fourteen that says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, I'll, heaven will hear and he will heal the land. We need to be praying prayers like that because if America doesn't repent from our wickedness that we have right now, judgment's coming to our country too. We need to pray for a national repentance and revival because nothing else is going to bring a relief from the judgment that's coming because of the craziness of our world right now. Amen? And then it says in verse 8, And the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power of these plagues, and they did not repent, so to give him glory. Now, the fourth judgment of God here is he scorches the earth. That's interesting. Because right now, the world is orbiting around the sun, 93 million miles away from the sun. 
We're 93 million miles away, and God perfectly has us at this position around the sun. And if God allowed this world to be one degree closer to the, the sun, we'd all be scorched right now. If we were one degree further away from the sun, we'd all freeze to death. It's amazing. Book of Colossians says that Jesus Christ holds all things together. Everything's been created by him and for him. He holds all things, including our orbiting around the sun. But during the Great Tribulation, what's going to happen is they're going to allow us to get a little bit closer to the sun because at that point, that judgment of the sun scorching the earth is going to come. You talk about global warming? It's coming. Joe Biden's right on that one. Global warming's coming. And it's coming during the Great Tribulation. And that's the, the, the fourth judgment that's coming. Notice, too, in verse 9. I mean, the world's getting scorched right now. There's malignant sores and, and, and boils on everybody. This, this judgment of God is just being unleashed on the world. What's man's response? Go back to that verse we just read. It says that they did not repent and give him glory. And worse even, they blasphemed God. Wow. I mean, this is craziness. Judgment just unleashed, and people are getting scorched on the earth. And do they repent? No, they, they don't, not only do they not repent, they're blaspheming, they're cursing the God that's bringing the judgment. Kind of reminds me of an incorrigible, rebellious kid getting spanked by his parents, and as he's getting spanked, he's cursing his dad for spanking him. What's that dad going to do? More spankings are coming. I know what Heidi would do, my wife. She was our disciplinary. I would say, you, 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 okay, bam, bam, get some more for that. And I'd do the same thing. Because those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And you know what? This judgment's going to keep coming because it says three times in this chapter that in the midst of the judgment, the people on earth are refusing to repent and they're blaspheming the one that's bringing the judgment. And then in verse 12, it says, And the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up, and the way might be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. No, that's the, that's the uh, counterfeit trinity right there. The dragon, Satan. The beast is the Antichrist. The false prophet is the religious leader that's the right-hand man of the Antichrist. And out of their mouths, there's three unclean spirits like frogs demons, for they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Behold, I'm coming, it says, like a thief, blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments, lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. And they gather them together to the place which in Hebrew is called what? Armageddon. Har Megiddo. It's actually the Mount of Megiddo. I've been there three times. I've had the privilege three times to go to Israel and lead tours for Israel. It's an amazing place. And what it is, is, is there's this mount. It's a, it's a tell. It's, a, it's, it's like a, a, a hill that has a town on it. And it looks over this valley, the Valley of Jezreel. It's also called the Valley of Megiddo. And you look over this valley in this 200 square miles. Napoleon called it the greatest battlefield he's ever seen. Uh, Douglas MacArthur during World War II had a tour through there and he said, this is where the next world war is going to happen. And I think he's right. And it's going to be the battle of Armageddon. And what's going to happen according to the scripture we just read, interesting, is this, is that the Euphrates River is going to be dried up. 
Euphrates River is a river that's 1,800 miles long. It goes through present-day Iraq, old time. It went through Babylon. And this river is huge. I mean, it's 50 feet deep, 1,200 yards wide. And, and, and basically, what's going to happen, according to Revelation here, is it's going to be dry to the ground so that the armies of the kings of the east, what, what's the east? The east is China, it's Japan, it's Pakistan, it's India. And these kings are going to have this massive army. We learned earlier in Revelations, 200-man army. And they're going to march across on dry land right to Israel. And they're going to be deceived by the Antichrist to believe that they're going to be able to take on Jesus Christ and the armies of heaven. And they're going to have a rally like Braveheart or something where they're all going to rally together. Whoa, we're going to take on Jesus Christ when he comes back. And then Revelation 19, we're going to see it in two weeks. We're going to see Jesus Christ then at that point in the valley of uh, Megiddo and the battle of Armageddon is going to pierce through the sky on a white horse. And he's going to come just with the sword of his mouth. And he's going to disintegrate the Antichrist and the 200 million troops to the point that blood's going to flow as high as the bridles of horses for 200 square miles. And I believe Jesus will say again, it is finished. The Antichrist and his troops, gone. And then Revelation 20 is going to tell us then the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, is going to set up his kingdom for a thousand years. And, the, water, and the, the knowledge of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the water covers the seas. And it's going to go back to the Garden of Eden. And we're not going to have a, the, we're not going to have a democracy. I'm sorry. No democracy. It's going to be a, a theocracy. What's that mean? Theo is God. And it means God is going to be in control of the world again. And we're going to have Jesus as our king. And I say with that, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. I'm tired of the politics. I want King Jesus. I want him to reign and him to set up his kingdom on earth and to answer our prayers. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. What? On earth as it is in heaven. And what's going to precede this, though, is this Armageddon, this battle that's coming. We'll study in detail in just a couple weeks. And then let's close it up now. Oops, I did it last time and I did it again. I skipped the fifth trumpet. I guess because I don't like darkness. I was one of those kids that always had a nightlight, you know? Don't, don't like darkness. I'm not going to skip it this time, though. Let's go back. The fifth trumpet. And it says, And the fifth uh, angel poured out his bowl upon the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And what was their response to this worldwide darkness? Verse 11, again, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they didn't repent of their deeds. Again, blasphemy instead of repentance. This fifth trumpet, interesting, goes from God scorching the earth with the sun to God turning the lights up. Dark. It's pretty characteristic of the time, though. Who's in charge? The Antichrist. What is Satan's kingdom? darkness. What is God? God is light. So God says, okay, Satan's in control of the world, Antichrist's in control of the world, I'm turning the lights out. Can you imagine? All day long, dark. And the people have these sores and malignant boils and everything else, and they're just chewing on their tongues and in pain, and, and, but they refuse to repent. They blaspheme God. I remember when I was in junior high, I was a part of an outdoors club. And I can't believe our parents let us do this, but we would go on trips with our junior high uh, social studies teacher, and he'd take us to outdoors places as 
13, 14 years, we rappelled off a cliff. We did the whole travel of, through the, all the lakes of uh, Minnesota on canoes and, uh, you know, taking canoes from lake to lake and stuff. But one of the trips I'll never forget we did was cave exploring. We went to the heart of a cave as we were cave exploring, and we had these little helmets on, our hard hat helmets, and we had lights on them, and we got to the heart of the cave, and then our junior high professor said, our teacher said, turn all your lights off. Never forget it. Turn all the lights off, and we're in the heart of a cave. And I remember as a 13-year-old, putting my hand in front of my face, and I couldn't even see my hand. It scared me. I'm going, this is scary. I can't see anything. You know what Jesus said hell is going to be characterized by? Outer darkness. And that's going to happen all day long during this fifth trumpet of the judgments of God. Now let's close it up. Verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the altar, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is what? Done! Finished! And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, so mighty that the great city, that's the city of Babylon. We'll study that in detail next week, Revelation 17 and 18, the fall of Babylon. And the cities of the nations fell, and Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his first fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And notice this, verse 21. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. And the men, what was their response to this judgment? They blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Last judgment of God, earthquakes. Earthquakes so great that the pallets of the earth are moving so much that all the mountains disintegrate and go back into the earth. And notice, even the islands disintegrate because you know what islands are? Islands are just mountains that have gotten above the ocean. And they all just get flattened out from these earthquakes. And then it goes from earthquakes and the flattening of all the mountains. Then it goes to hailstorms where the hail's coming out of heaven in 100-pound stones. Now, when I was a pastor of the last church I pastored, I was in Wisconsin. And in Wisconsin, we had hailstorms, really big ones sometimes. So much so that golf ball-sized pieces of hail would be falling out of the sky, and they'd kill cows. Cows that weighed several hundred pounds would be killed by hailstones the size of golf balls. But those, those golf ball-sized hailstones, they weighed a quarter of a pound. Multiply that by 400 that's the size of the hailstones that are going to be coming out of the sky all over the earth during this last judgment. Interesting to me. I was reading this this week too. I was thinking about this. What's the judgment of God in the law in the Old Testament for blaspheming God? Execution by what? Stoning. What are the people on earth three times throughout this chapter during God's judgment doing. They're blaspheming God. So what does God do? Stoning. And not little stones, 100-pound stones coming out of heaven. But church, remember this. A couple times in this chapter, they're saying this is it. It's done. God's judgment, it is Done. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is 
finished. And if you trusted Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you're not going to come under this judgment because it is finished already for you. You know why? Because Jesus took the judgment for you. He said on the cross, paid in full. And the moment you confess Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, it's finished. You're going to bypass this judgment because you're going to be raptured out of here. But listen, going back to that verse we just read in this last judgment, it said this to believers. I think this is a statement to believers, to those believers that are tribulation saints during the great tribulation after we rapture out of here. It says this, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garment, lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. Those that are in the great tribulation that get saved and they get in the book of Revelation, they're reminded here, hey, stay awake during this judgment. Stay awake. Stay serving Jesus. Don't be half-hearted Christians. Be Christians that are victorious Christians. Stay awake. We're not in the great tribulation right now. But I think the word for the church today, same thing, because we're going into the flow. We're already having the birth pangs of going towards this, this, this great judgment that's coming. And Jesus said, before the ultimate judgment comes, there's going to be birth pangs. There's going to be beginnings of these things. And we're already starting to see it. And we, church, this is not a time in these last days that we're in right now, before we're raptured, this is not a time not to stay awake. We've got to stay awake. We need to wake up. We need to be alive spiritually. We need to be people that aren't sleeping and slumbering during this time of the last days. We need to be people that are in the word because the word is living and active. It's sharper than it's uh, two-edged sword. How do we keep our ways right in these last days? By being delighting in God's word day and night so we'll be like a tree planted by streams of water and our leaf won't wither and whatever we do will prosper. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Thy word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Stay in the word in these last days. It'll keep you awake. Stay in church in these last days. Hey, this is not a time to forsake our own assembling together as a habit of some, but we're to be encouraging one another all the more. Listen, all the more as the day draws near. This is a time to be in church right now. We need each other. We need to be in God's presence. We need to be taught God's word during this time because darkness is going to get darker. And we need to be shining bright. And we need to be wake up and stay awake spiritually. And we need to be victorious Christians in these last days because judgment's coming. Amen? And we need to be people that are quick to repent. We learn the lesson from this chapter. These people and their foolishness, even in the great judgment of God, the finality of his judgment, the grand finale of his judgment, they refuse to repent and they're even cursing God. Hey, hey, we need to be people that are doing just the opposite. Repent quick. Practice First John 1, 9 if we confess our sins. He's faithful. He's just. He'll forgive our sins. And he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Be like David. David, when he made the stupidest mistakes of his life, when he was confronted by Nathan, he repented quickly. And he prayed that prayer, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me and restore unto me the joy of my salvation. So if you're here this morning, reminded of, be reminded of two things as we close this morning. It is finished. Jesus paid for this judgment the world's going to face. 
upon the cross. And if you've trusted him, if you confessed him as your Lord and your Savior, the judgments, the wrath of God is taken by him on the cross. The just died for the unjust in order to bring us to God. But also, let's learn from the mistakes of these people that refuse to repent and they're blaspheming the God that's bringing judgment. Let's learn from that. Let's be people like, more like David, men, after, men and women after God's own heart that are quick to repent and quick to get right with God when we get wrong. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you, God, that it is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes into our souls and our spirits, the joints and marrow of our inner being, and it even judges the thoughts and the intentions of our heart, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you use your word this morning just to convict us. We all get swayed sometimes by the world, the flesh, and the devil. We all have struggles at times. We all get away from you, God, even wander away from you, God. But I know, Lord, that you want us to stay close, especially in these last days. And I thank you for your promise, God, that if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. Thank you for your promise, God, that you are a God that loves us and you're quick to forgive. You're a God that's abounding in mercy and loving kindness. And Lord, I pray that we come to your throne of grace this morning as we study the importance of repentance this morning. I pray that we'd come with a repentant heart, Lord. And God, if there's things in our lives that we need to just give to you and to your throne of grace, may we do that right now. May we bring those things that are not right with you, God, and bring them to your throne of grace and say, we're sorry, Lord, for this sin or that sin or this habit or this addiction or this stuff we've been stuck in, Lord. And today's our day of repentance, God. And God, we just say we're sorry and we ask for your power and your help to overcome these things. And not only that, God, we confess it to you, knowing that you're faithful and just, you'll forgive, and that you'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we do that right now, Lord. And bring those things to his throne of grace right now that you need to clear up with God right now. And you, ask, you need to ask for his forgiveness, and you need to turn from, and you're gonna say right now, it is done, I'm done with this. I confess it, and I forsake it, and I ask your forgiveness, God. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your greatness, Lord. You are worthy of our worship, God. You're worthy of our worship because of your ways, your works, and just who you are, God. And Lord, I thank you that your glory fills this place, this temple right here. And I pray, Lord, that we would be people that continue just to walk close with you, especially in these last days. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen, amen.